0: Welcome back to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, the job whisperer, and it's another Sunday. And uh, the Bit About Crypto show, uh, it's it's a human interest story. We bring on different guests, and the one thing they have in common is cryptocurrency. And it's also... Uh, a way for somebody who wants to get a job in the crypto space to learn more about crypto and they can contact us or somebody who actually needs people, someone who's hiring for a project, you can call us. But before I forget, I can't do it alone. I've got my co-host, Dave Hampton, robo-recruiter. How you doing? You've been robo-recruiting, man?
1: Uh, Yeah, you know it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, if you're listening to this, uh, the blockchain space is absolutely blowing up. And when we started this firm... Did you have any idea that uh, we're gonna have this wall of energy of hey we need people like nothing we've seen? Uh,
1: before? I, I did actually I I did I did feel it the way the way it's been surging the way that just the reason people are getting into it uh, the you know the the foundation that people sense from it in yeah. terms of in terms of uh, the liberty freedom autonomy that comes with the yeah. uh, the philosophy behind it.
0: Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> I, I'm really excited about our guests. Before we get to them, let's uh, hear a word from our sponsor. Travis, who's sponsoring the show today? Well, the one and only, the blockchainrecruiters.net. Hey, that's us, blockchainrecruiters.net. So like I said, you know, what we used to do uh, in months back was we would actually start saying, hey, I've got these jobs, we've got these candidates, but now there's just too many too many to mention, just too many. So we have everybody, community managers, BD, compliance managers, Appraisers, WAX programmers, Solidity, you know, whatever you, Web3, people that write smart contracts, whatever the thing is that you need, right? Full stack, all that stuff. So if you actually need to get a hold of me and you've got a project, you can find me at the BTC recruiter. That's it. I'm David James, right? And if you want to send your resume, send it to Dave, D A V E.
1: At recruiters dot net. Yeah,
0: that's right. Now we got yeah. that all the way. Hey, I wanted, uh, I, I wanted just to talk to you about something. So, not coming from a money background, as in I am not learned it in finance, right? I was, I, I wasn't raised. I don't have a, a, any degrees in finance. I, I, understand buy for one, sell for two. I was a bookmaker in high school. I, mm-hmm. I understand numbers and logic, but I, I, but I, I really knew that getting by was tough, and. <clears throat> I know, as, as everybody knows, I got into Bitcoin in 2013, and you know, I've been watching the price every day since. And, but what I used to see was is that there really were only four ways that companies would talk about making money, right? And all of them are absolutely flawed, right? The first one was you could put money in a savings account or a bank account, right? and they'd pay you 5%, mm-hmm. right? But that was correlative to the interest rates being high. Right, and then I mean, five percent is five percent, right? You got a million dollars, like that's fifty thousand, right? And that can compound, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now with with interest rates being at zero, bank accounts, that's that's really the same thing as like putting it in a bread box in your kitchen, right? right. And it's actually it's a negative. Because yeah, with inflation, been, yeah, it's been negative, yeah. right? The, 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 the second way was was buying bonds. Bonds were guaranteed by the United States, and there was this yield, and that, that's the same thing, right. right? And bonds could actually crash. Then the uh, the, the third thing was uh, you could, you could buy stocks, right? And and you could still buy stocks today, but I think everybody in the back of their mind knows that um, buying stocks is it's desymmetric. I don't know if that's a word, right? You say you buy Tesla at three thousand bucks, right? It could go down to thirty, right? But it's not necessarily going to go go up that much, right? So that you, you get like ten percent over a year versus losing ninety percent over a year because that's an inevitable thing. Yeah,
1: ten percent return is uh, pretty good, right? So, but the best but, mutual funds but, on, on but, average have yielded ten to twelve percent.
0: Yeah, but with stocks being so high, everybody's like they're pumping the brakes a little, and then there's the real estate thing. Right. But COVID has changed real estate in a commercial real estate doesn't have the demand that it used to B, you know, certain domestic laws are saying you don't have to pay your rent. Right. And so there's that. And also it's it's actually overpriced. So those those things have inherent risks. So what I'm seeing happening here is all these VCs, right, are going to crypto and specifically, you know, the world is going to Bitcoin. And I think if Bitcoin didn't exist, I think the whole world would have been going to gold. I think Bitcoin is eating gold, and
1: I, yeah, yeah, another commodity yeah. thing, right?
0: It's, I can't prove it, right? And so that's that's why. So as you know, I orange pilled you, and we went to bi- Block Boom, right, last August, and <clears throat> I think it was when Preston, uh, not Preston Fish, um, I don't remember. I don't. Remember, maybe it was it was it was Mark. Mark was up to speaking on stage. You know, everybody had an opportunity to ask a question, right? And our next guest, Blake, he actually asked the question in such a way, I didn't even really care what the answer was. I cocked my neck, and I listened to him ask the question. I think I was so enamored with the fact that he asked the question the way he did, I don't even know what what Mark Moss said the answer was. I, I, I just don't. And to this day, I still don't know, and I don't care. And I went up to Blake later, and I, I said to him, I said, look, I don't have a lot of time to talk. I'm David James. I'm the... The podcast host a bit about crypto will you be on my uh <clears throat> podcast he said sure right and i got his twitter and here we are so like with no further ado let's bring on blake
2: hi david thanks for having me on your show i really appreciate it
0: yeah and also one of the things i didn't say is blake is a monetary scientist and orange pill enforcer and that's like to me that's like jammed up and jelly tight that's peanut butter and the jelly right so uh yeah so um let me just ask you this so <clears throat> where where did you grow up or how did you grow up like just say from like a little kid all the way to say high school
2: yeah i'd love to i'd love to share that um and i i think we could, i guess we can get back into the the kind of question that i asked because i think you know as you mentioned a monetary scientist i think the biggest question that you can ask is is how big is the addressable market for Bitcoin or crypto? And then what's the risk profile? <laughs> so w- w- before getting into the meat of that, um, you know that was a question that I asked. I'm sure we'll get into that later. Okay. But I, I actually grew up in Los Angeles. So I grew up in Los Angeles, and both my parents were in real estate. What part? Oh, what part of LA? I actually grew up in the Hollywood Hills. Okay. So you know, right next to the Hollywood sign, um, you, know, you used to see movie stars every once in a right. while.
0: Like Mount uh, Olympus? So kind of Mount Olympus?
2: Uh Mount Olympus? Yeah. I'm not, no not no that.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter. Go on.
2: Go on. Okay. Yeah. So I did that and my parents were both in real estate. So the, the Hollywood area, uh downtown Hollywood is where they did a lot of the business, commercial real estate on my dad's side, residential on my mom's side. And uh, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I got I got into that, um, or I started to get kind of my interest at a young age into to commercial and residential real estate, more on the commercial did, side.
0: Did you did you do any sports?
2: Uh, yeah, I did do sports, a lot of baseball, uh, and then I played uh, yeah baseball uh, at a young age and then did that in high school as well.
0: Right. And so when you were like 18, 19, your formative years, was there something mm-hmm. you thought you were going to be or thought you were going to do like when toward that emancipation time of your
2: life? Yeah, I, I wanted to be a real estate developer. Uh, so that was kind of my that was my goal. I was reading real estate books and and, uh, you know, development and kind of finance books at an early age, uh, you know, when I was, I must have been 15 or something like that, maybe even younger. Uh, so that's something that I always wanted to do. And I always thought I'd be good at it. I felt I had the knack for that uh, and was always understanding finance in the markets and, and and interest rates. And I didn't understand interest rates at the time, not like I do now, but I knew that that was a big variable and you know, appraising uh, a property. And that, that's something that just always interests me, again, so, from a young age.
0: So did, being in L.A., did you go to USC to understand finance or did you throw in right with your parents and start uh, booking deals in real estate?
2: Yeah, I, I actually went and, and did study abroad in Australia for a real real estate finance program there. So they had a really deep um in an in-depth real estate finance program, a lot of cash flow analysis, discounted yeah, discounted cash flow. So uh, that's where I studied. Um, and then, what ended up happening um, was the market changed around 2008. So I had to, to uh, make a career change, right, To
0: say the least, right? <laughs> so, yeah.
2: yeah. So you spend I don't know six seven years thinking that you're going to do one thing that you're you're pretty good at it, or you think you're going to be good at it. Mm. Um, you get that education and then the market completely changes so that again that was 2007 2008 and that's when they started pulling the jobs off the market so i'd go in for interviews and and they'd say oh you know Blake, you know we love your background we we, we like you but we're having a lot of people come in with 10 years of experience so you know we're not going to be hiring you and then they started just pulling the jobs completely and then companies started going down and going under um so that's you know, what I wanted to do. And, and it was an interesting experience.
0: So let's talk about that. So let's go like 2004, 2005. Are you working in real estate? Are you putting deals together in that area?
2: No, no. I was still in college at that time. Okay. So right. uh, I was studying finance uh, and getting that. Program. Okay.
0: So you, you graduate, you come out and then the, the, the big rug pull is we'll say, right. Right. The, the entire exactly. dynamic changed, right?
2: Exactly. So wow. exactly right around 2000. Seven two thousand eight is when I was graduating college, and the whole dynamic was changing. And the, the irony, or the interesting part, is I I saw the real estate market, you know, being able to do a, a large pullback, and so I called that in two thousand six. You know, I was talking to my my family, I'm like, "Hey, this this just seems frothy; it doesn't seem right." Um, and I was telling my friends at the same time, uh, not that I had any money to do anything with real estate anyway, um, but you know, I did I did call that kind of Top or, or kind of uh, market, which was an interesting thing to do at that age and have that type of interest. Um, and reflecting back on it now, it was, yeah. it was pretty. Yeah, I,
0: I, I want to speak on that. So, like in two thousand six, like mm-hmm. I, I was uh, in the same spot, you know. I just saw what was going on and you just had like hairdressers had four houses and these very like gals quitting their waitressing jobs and their real estate agents and you would see, right. see these women driving Hummers with two car seats and they're, they're wearing their matching jade green uh, sweatsuits with the word pink on the butt and they're filling up you know the $4 <laughs> gallon and I say what are you doing as they smack their gum they say I oh, mean my husband we've got a loan business right and mm-hmm. I, I, I you know I'm a recruiter Right. I watch what people do, yeah. not what people say. And I said to my girlfriend at the time, I said, this isn't sustainable. That means when my daughter's mm. of age, it's going to cost her six million dollars to buy this house. It's it's yeah. just not sustainable. And and I yeah, mean, yeah. that's me calling the top. OK, I, I mean, of course, I didn't call the top and that wasn't the top. But I, too, realized mm. that this hair, there's a reason you're a hairdresser and you, you know, I mean, I'm not hating on hairdressers. Right? Yeah, yeah, of course. But when yeah, it, it just it just cheapened everything. We had money looking for houses, and so mm-hmm. all. Of a sudden, now you're coming out of college. Mm-hmm. Were you pissed? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was pissed because I had uh, I, I'd say pissed, I, not overly upset, but I had friends or acquaintances that were buying houses in 2001, 2002, 2003, and then just writing that all the way up. So they just keep buying more houses. Not flipping them, but improving them and then, uh, at, you know, kind of adding on to them and then, but they weren't really doing any real work. They, they weren't really adding that much value to it. They did a little kind of, you know, maybe a bathroom remodel or something like that, not even that level. And then they were just kind of having a good time all the time, which yeah. was great. So very exciting early, early college career. <laughs> like this is going to be, I'm going to be able to knock this out of the park if these are the people that are kind of doing this. And then the whole market contracted. <laughs> right. But it was interesting, kind of lesson where you reflect on it a little bit where they took all those risks with you know imaginary money or or loans, and then they wrote it all the away. They didn't have to work um, really, and they got to really enjoy kind of just a lifestyle.
0: Kind of like now. Kind of like now.
2: Kind of like now. Right. But um, well, we'll get to that in a so, second. We'll
0: get to that in a second. So yeah. so the the yeah, you're talking. I I I had. I just wanted you to know there was a guy I knew who literally mm. got. He he got 10, he bought 10 houses within a 30-day period, and he got an extra $100,000 out of each house. Right. Right. And I, I, I said when he told me about this, I said, I want no part of this. I said, I, 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 said, I don't know what happens, but I know how it ends. I, I guarantee you right. I, I know how, how, how it ends. And sure enough, he was arrested. I mean, we weren't close, but I just – Oh, he was you know, arrested? Yeah. yeah you, you talk about stuff like that. You're going to talk about like, how this is a good idea. Right. And because right. He, he saw the end, etc. I said, don't walk away from this run. Right. And um, I, I just and also a good friend of mine who I grew up with, uh, he uh, became a school teacher in, in Paso Robles. And he says, I make more money from my house than I do from my job every year. Mm-hmm. And it was like and mm-hmm. there was this perpetual thing where people were just saying, well, we'll just live indefinitely off the refinances of our house. Right. right. So can you speak on that a little bit? did you, uh, did you see people doing that too?
2: Oh, oh, yeah. And that's what this gentleman was doing that I was mentioning, refinancing the house to buy another house and leveraging that house. And then that boat, you know, the three houses would, would appreciate and then he'd happen for a fourth and just kind of keep doing that over and over again and rode a real quick, you know, doubling of the real estate market or whatever the numbers were at the time, you know, in a short amount of time and, and just rode that um, with no real finance background or, or understanding of macroeconomics, which I think, that's why this is so confusing to so many people where, where it's like, these people are making more money from their homes appreciating than they are from their careers. And they are. And so people get frothy and then they want to be a part of that. And, um, you know, it's understandable that, you know, you, when you work, you know, a job for 365 days a year, and then you've got somebody that just made a purchase and got a loan or got a loan and made a purchase that you'd want to be a part of that as, as well. So that's just kind of Human incentives, which I'm sure we'll get into now, a little now, bit later.
0: Yeah, um, before we talk about how how yeah, how, yeah. how history is not repeating but rhyming right now, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I personally think we're like 2005, 2006, if you know what I'm saying. I just I just believe that eventually the balloon gets just too heavy. But we're gonna come back to that. So here's an, I'm gonna ask you this, my signature line. How did okay. how did how did crypto find you? Uh,
2: uh well, we can get into the. The problem, which I saw, you know, which is some of these things, um, but ultimately, you know, my my story was uh, I saw the problems, and so I was ready to move into Bitcoin immediately. And so, someone sent me some Bitcoin, and I didn't think much of it. But then I watched an Andreas Antonopoulos video. What year is this? And then I got it immediately. What
0: year? What year was this?
2: Uh, this is this is early two thousand and seventeen.
0: Okay, go on.
2: Yeah, uh, and so. You know, that gave me and, and for a lot of people, it takes multiple touches. And I, I guess there was a Netflix documentary that I did watch um, or it was on on something. But once I got that, it was a replacement for the Federal Reserve. And it is, you know, potentially new money that can't be seized. And it was around long enough that it hadn't been uh, compromised. In other words, it's proven itself as a, as a system uh, in the environment like that. I, I kind of knew that immediately. And then I was full on 100 percent. Um, into the space and, and educating myself and understanding the reasons why and, and diving deeper into, you know, all the facets and the rabbit holes uh, that Bitcoin provides. And, um, you know, that, that's how I kind of got into it.
0: Okay. So um, <clears throat> so when you say you got into Bitcoin, you call yourself a monetary sci- uh, scientist and an orange pill enforcer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> t- t- yeah, okay, I mean, I-, I wanted to give you as much runway as possible to talk, right? Because na- right. Na- now, now yeah. we are in, in, in twelve years later, right? In my opinion, is is that we, the, the economy is since the crash we built back artificially, mm-hmm. right? Instead of punishing the mm-hmm. villains on Wall Street to cause this problem, we punished mm-hmm. the victims. Mm-hmm. We pun we mm-hmm. we, we punish the victims is what we did, and on top of that, we've been pushing money into the economy, keeping it falsely propped up for all this time. And then all of a sudden now we're, we're, we're lowering interest rates, which is keeping mm-hmm. the economy on fire. So then we we can talk about that. We can talk about COVID and the money, wherever you want to go.
2: Right. Go. Well, <laughs> let's go, go. I go, I guess I'll go back into the story and parlay that into, you know, what I saw is the problem. And that's why I was so ready for Bitcoin when I heard about it. And when I got it and watched, you know, one or two of Andreas's videos, which is when she, you know, I started understanding the Federal Reserve and how money is being printed in um, economic systems, you know, the, the cyclical nature of the debt cycles and that money printing, which relate, um, you know, gets into real estate bubbles and, and stock market bubbles and the Great Depression. Um, and so, you know, I was a big Ron Paul supporter, um, you know, before that, probably in 2000, I forget when he was running, but, you know, I was a big and the Fed guy. Um, and that made a lot of sense to me, and so, um, you know, that that's what primed me understanding the problem and how complicated fractional reserve banking is. A, is a great example where you, you're at, the money that you put in your bank in the bank is not actually owned by you. Both you don't own it, and then they fractional reserve it out to other people. Uh, and of course, when you say that out loud and you understand that from you know maybe other systems, it's 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 crazy to think that. A business and a bank and a system is designed to do that. And so when you interesting thing about Bitcoiners is that they are the most risk-averse people that I've found, and that's why they moved into Bitcoin. And the irony that most people say that Bitcoin is the that's most right. is a risky investment that's right. is 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 funny because the whole reason you understand the banking system, fractioners are banking hyperinflation fiat currencies in the history of these things. There's no way that you're keeping your money in a bank. There's no way that you're money, you're keeping your money in fiat. They
0: they're confusing the risk with volatility. They see volatility and they call that risk, right? Right. So and, and if you look and at the, even, go on. No, but, but during the no, during even, the crash in 2020, the crash, right? Stock market goes down. They stop trading. Bitcoin goes down, but Bitcoin went up quick. It recovered quick. Stock didn't.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, and I think, I think that's important for most people to understand is there's a difference between volatility and risk, right? Um, and the thing is, mo- pe- most people, including financial advisors, conflate the two. There's a difference between volatility. Re- Bitcoin is going to be extremely volatile, but it's the risk-free asset in the market right now. In other words, if you look at all the assets you can invest in right now, it's the least risky investment out there. If it were just to stay stable, you just wanted to store your wealth in Bitcoin, but it also has the, of course, the uh, ability to appreciate at two hundred percent a year. Uh, and so I think people need to s- stop conflating those two terms. But it's understandable that they do because it's something that's often um, mentioned a lot in mainstream, uh, you know, media, uh, you know, CNBC and things like that. That it's too volatile and that it, therefore, it's risky. The other thing is, from a risk perspective, is that it, it's new, and so therefore, it seems risky, as opposed to built on sound principles, um, and, and the way it's designed is, you know, designed to survive a nuclear, uh, you know, nuclear war. Um, and so that that's an interesting thing to think about in terms of its stability, um, and I think understanding those two things would really help a lot of people understand that, you know, it's not a risky investment, or potentially not a risky investment. I don't want to be a financial advisor. I'm not financial
0: advice. Yeah. This is edutainment. Edutainment, is, yeah, what edutainment. Is, is what this is. Okay. So right, right. so we, we've got a lot of things going, and you, and you can go wherever you want, right? But right. we've got the quantitative easing, which probably, you know, remember, people are coming to this because they, they want to learn about crypto, right? And so mm-hmm. um, there's quantitative easing that happened from the government right after the financial crisis, and they kept doing it right to keep the markets and then they started lowering interest rates right and then covid happened and then there's these massive giveaways and interest rates are zero and tapering not tapering the way i I, the way i see it is and now we've got inflation and if we the only way we can stop that is raise interest rates but then we're going to default or we got to actually slow the velocity of money and the only way they can do that was with another shutdown so okay. you, you take whichever bites of the apple you want, but I want to hear, I want to hear your take on all of it and however you want to frame it.
2: Yeah, uh, so I think, yeah, I think just starting off the framing of how I think about uh, Bitcoin um, is, you know, I like to think about it as a risk versus reward. Um, and that, I think that was the question that I was asking Preston Pish, and Mark is, you know, what's the risk of this thing breaking? And what is the upside of, of Bitcoin? as well as then you start to analyze the risk-reward profile of fiat currencies and the banking system, right? Every time, in the current economy. So we'll get into you know the interest rates and Austrian economics. But I think that's the, the easiest framework to allow people to get into Bitcoin because it becomes a, a question of how much you put into the, your portfolio in terms of Bitcoin versus if you invest in Bitcoin at all. Because if the numbers are... I think, it, and that's an, inv- so that investing framework, the risk reward, you know, what's my r- risk of loss and what's the upside um, is a really simple way for people to, to think about um, at, to, to, is a mental framework for them to continually, to peel back the onion on both areas. The Bitcoin might be more safe than they think and safer investment and the current system might be more risky than they think, right? And then again, the total addressable market, how far does it have to go? So I think, you know, going back to the problem or how risky the current market is, um, one is is that the the Federal Reserve and the fiat systems right now don't have an option but to continue to lower interest rates because if they as you mentioned, David, if they raise interest rates, that means the government's going to go bankrupt and a lot of the the bonds in the market are going to go bankrupt as well. Or not the bonds in the market, but the the companies in the market are going to go bankrupt when interest rates uh, start increasing, as well as people are not going to be able to afford their homes. So if interest rates triple or go up to twenty percent, like they did in the eighties, um, you're going to have uh, you know foreclosures uh, are going to go through the roof. Um, and so once you understand the the Federal Reserve and that system, one of the only ways is to continue to to increase or to continue the the Ponzi scheme, um, that's their option. And that's why they continue to print more money. And that's why it was so frustrating in 2008 when they printed more money. And what did they do with it? They didn't give it to grandma and grandpa. They didn't give it to the homeless. They didn't give it to the people that need it. They didn't give it to teachers. They didn't give it to students. They gave it to the bankers. And the bankers made a ton of money. And they did that because they have to, if you understand Austrian economics, they have to continue to print money to keep the system afloat. Because you can't taper a Ponzi scheme. And that's exactly where we're at right now is a, is a Ponzi scheme.
0: So I, I want I want you to talk to the uh, the audience in such a way. Okay. So everybody is, there's this mad rush about I got to get a house and my house is going up and there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's this, we once again have money running at houses as opposed to houses running for money, right? Back when it was sustainable, right. all the way from the 40s right to the, to the great crash of 2008. Right. Mm-hmm. We now, we once again have money running after that. And so th- there's something that's got it, got it, got to trigger this crash, right. Or, 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 or inflation is going to get so bad. I just, I don't know where the balloon is going to leak, but I know you got an idea.
2: Yeah. I, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, a lot of my friends are, are buying real estate. And I think you have the fundamentals, uh, where it used to be one of the fundamentals is people's income, or and their ability to pay rent. So that's kind of your baseline for a mortgage. But then you've got the variables baseline to compare it to a mortgage. But then you've got the variables of interest rates, right? So if you make let's say hundred thousand dollars a year, you're willing to pay let's say two thousand dollars in rent a month, Um, but if and that's just what you can afford in terms of your salary each year. But if they start, if they drop interest rates from twenty percent to one percent, your mortgage, your mortgage payment a month is dropping by the, that same ratio. So it's dropping to one twentieth of yeah, of right. What the um, so your two so, two
0: thousand a month is a hundred a month.
2: Correct. Correct. Nice. And so um, I think that's it's good to understand that. And that, those are the fundamentals. Not, I shouldn't say air quotes. Those should be the fundamentals. But now you have a really different variable going on right now, which is uh, we're, we're potentially inflating at a, at a arguably 15 percent rate. Right. So um, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. If we're inflating it, at, at, you know, above 10 percent, that means that we're already in a real estate crash. We're just measuring it in the wrong unit of account. Okay. Talk
0: I mean, talk about this. This is excellent. Talk about this. But remember, you know, you got to go to simplify. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Great. So what I meant by unit of account is you're using the measuring stick of the dollar to understand the value of a property. Right. And so we all know about inflation and we know, and we've heard about properties that were bought in 1970s. Right. And now they're, they were bought for $50,000 and now they're worth 1.2, 1.3 million, right? The value of that land and the more importantly, value of that property didn't become, you know, whatever that, you know, 20 times more valuable, right? Mm-hmm. And the same thing with coffee and consumer goods, you know, coffee used to cost 10 cents and now it costs 450, right? Did coffee become that much more valuable? Four hundred or that more much valuable. scarce. Four, right.
0: Yeah, that much more scarce.
2: Or that much more scarce. Right. No, you know, it, you start to you start to not look at things in terms of the value of the unit of current the the currency, and you realize it's not all those things that are going up by that amount, but they're going the value of the currency is going down. And so, can I get a witness? Under-
0: I've just been preaching this. Can <laughs> I get Amen. a witness? Thank Amen. Thank you. Pre- preach, brother Blake. Preach. Amen. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah.
2: And so when you make that that shift into measuring it in other ways, maybe that's gold, maybe that's S&P 500, or maybe that's Bitcoin, you see that it is losing its value. But the difference is is that we're, we're seeing the we're seeing the money printing increase so much that it looks like the value of our houses are going are going up, but they're not going up. And since they've increased that so quickly that, you know, we might be in a um, you know, in a recession right now in terms of housing prices, but we're measuring it in something that's inflating at 10 to 15% a year. And the government just printed $8 trillion of it. So because we think in dollars and, and people think in dollars, they they, they don't, they, they can't measure the real value of their house. And they think they're making more money in terms of purchasing power, but they're not. So that's the, that's the thought process there. So they, so it's hard to, um, I think the real assumption is to try to understand the fundamentals used to be if someone can afford a house right but now because they're printing so much money interest rates are so low and they may continue to decrease it the, the value of the house might continue to go up you know forever uh, because the the inflation is going to continue if the inflation if inflation continues and we can kind of argue that point um, but the interesting thing from somebody that had can get a loan is if you can get a let's say that you're you are you know, a young person and you can, you're doing well in your career and you can get a loan for a million dollars, you put 3% down. If inflation is at 10% and your interest rate, your mortgage rate is 3%, you'd be silly not to get that, that piece of property, right? Because on twofold, you've got um, the value of the loan that you're going to pay back in the future is decreasing by 10%. right? And then the value of your house is also increasing at some number, maybe let's say 7%. So you're making a 17% profit alpha each month without doing anything else besides putting your money into that property. And so that's the crazy thing that's going to continue to put people that can get those loans till we exhaust them to continue to get those pieces of real estate because why wouldn't you do that, right? It's free money. And then the worst thing uh, that can happen or maybe one of the worst things that I'm not entirely sure from a legal perspective is that, let's say it doesn't work out let's say that we go into a recession you can't afford the house and this happened to that acquaintance that i knew uh, from college it was uh, buying all those houses uh, on the way up he just declares bankruptcy right so the worst thing that you can have arguably is a bankruptcy of those particular properties and so you know the risk reward um going back to your teacher kind of example is that he's making let's just say fifty thousand dollars a year the ha- home is appreciating at hundred thousand dollars a year, so he could potentially just sit on that property and live off that property. Especially if he continues to buy more and more property. The main factor that gets it, that is hard to understand or is a variable that's not inputted in these valuation models is the true inflation rate, and so that's never hardly ever inputted into the models. Um, so again let's do simple math or try to simplify this into a real world example if you can buy a million dollar piece of real estate you put three percent down and you have a two percent interest rate and inflation is ten percent you're making eight you know that money you you're you're making eight percent on that on that mm-hmm. um, that asset in a lot of ways and so that's that's where the that's where the real math comes in right because everyone says they're they're de- up to debt in their eyeballs but to their eyeballs, but that's a, that's a good thing. If there's a high inflation rate, right. Because it's the debt that you have to pay back in the future is less in terms of real purchasing power. Does that make sense, David? It it, it
0: does. It does does to me. And, you know, Matt O'Dell, he actually, Matt O'Dell, Marty Bent, right. Rabbit hole recap, you know, right. right? Right. Matt O'Dell made a great point and I, it didn't take for me, but I've really been starting to think about it. And he says, we're right. not going to have any real price discovery until everything is priced in satoshis and sats. Right. And for my audience, and we're getting new listeners every week, and thank you very much for all the kind things you're saying. But a satoshi is a unit of account in Bitcoin, right? You move the decimal point to the right, you can go eight spots, all right? And there are 100 million satoshis in a Bitcoin, right? Right. And I'm just saying that for you right now, Blake. Right, it, when we start pr- pricing things not in dollars but in satoshis, right, or, mm-hmm. or in units of Bitcoin, and also what's happening with the world going to Bitcoin. You know, it's it, all the bankers; they're not going to like it. Every financial advisor mm-hmm. doesn't like it for the same reason that taxi cabs didn't like Uber, right? For the same thing, mm-hmm. for the same reason that Nordstrom's doesn't like Amazon. Right. It's, it's disruptive. Right. But it's it's right. it's it, it's it, you can't stop. an avalanche. You can avoid an avalanche if you're on top of it, but not from the bottom. So anything that you want to say about how you 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 uh, prognosticate or forecast or predict the world's going to go. Right. I had someone say, hey, Mm -hmm. this this uh, El Salvador Mm -hmm. experiment is going to fail because people aren't going to buy coffee with Bitcoin. I'm saying, yeah, they're going to pay with Mm -hmm. lightning. Right. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Right. Like right now, I can Mm -hmm. take my Mm -hmm. lightning wallet. I can take cash from my bank. Right. And I can pay you in Mm -hmm. Bitcoin. I don't care because I'm paying you in Bitcoin now. I'm not paying with the Bitcoin that I bought right when it was like 50 times less. Right. 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 So uh, so there's and and this and BitBoy Crypto, he said that and it's like, you know, and he's a hack and he wants you to pay money to go on his patron channel. And I guess. (laughs) All right. And and that's not what we do here. We want to educate people so they can make their own decisions. I said a lot of things there. So can you comment?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the way I look at the payments aspect is more of a marketing campaign for Bitcoin. So the the fact that people, for some reason, m- most 99.99% of people on the planet think of money as just something you can pay with, which is a medium of exchange. In other words, I want to buy my coffee. But the most important value of a, of a good money is that you can store your wealth in it and you know that you can retire on it. So if you had $3 million today, that should be enough for you to retire. But if things are inflating and the cost of everything is increasing by 10 or 20% a year, that you know you can't forecast what you're going to need in 30 years um, after you retired, right? And so that's a very hard thing. Um, it's a hard thing to gauge. But with this, with the money that is limited in amount, you know, 21 million, you know that you're going to have, let's say, four bitcoin out of 21 million, and it's going to increase in value. And there's nothing that anyone can do to debase that, right? And so I think what I'm saying there is that the medium of exchange lightning aspect for someone being able to pay with um, with lightning and have a, a almost free transaction, that might be an aha for them and is more of like a marketing campaign. What I think the really interesting thing from a hyper Bitcoinization standpoint is the fact that um, is it, you know, one of the, again, the question that I ask Preston and Mark and just about anybody is how big is this market, right? Because if this market, the store of value Bitcoin market is 900 trillion, I'm looking at let's say 900 Jenga pieces that are a trillion dollars each that can fall into Bitcoin at any time. This old economic system is getting uh, less stable. And anytime one of these things fall in, it could literally push us to hyper-Bitcoinization. Does that make sense? Is that, are yeah. you following yeah. yeah, yeah that but, but thought process? I, I'm following so, it, but right.
0: I've been a student of Bitcoin since 2013. Why, why, why don't you ask some questions, I mean, are you getting it?
1: Because you're newer. What do you mean by hyper-Bitcoinization?
2: Yeah, so hyper-Bitcoinization is the moment where the the traditional system or the traditional money realizes that they are in the old system. And the problem with that, or, or that the, they've been replaced? When, are you
1: saying that they've been replaced by Bitcoin?
2: Or they in quicksand? When the when they're in quicksand, when the FOMOS, When they're in quicksand, when they realize that they're in the wrong place. So Bitcoin looks like the wrong place right now because it's it's volatile and it's risky. Right, but it hasn't stabilized. The it keeps realized, going
1: up. It goes down. Nobody, they're like, ah, I don't know about that. You know, it, you don't. Need, they don't know what it's worth or what it's not worth per se. In other words, I mean, that's that's the argument that I've heard people being hesitant for.
0: The confusing volatility right. and if you, as a weakness.
2: And if you ask them what the the value of a bitcoin is, you know you're going to get blank stares. And I think, you know, you what is the value of a bitcoin? Is it worth? You ask those type of people that are saying the, uh, the the volatility is a challenge. Then what's the what's the price of a bitcoin? Because if the price of a bitcoin is worth a million dollars, then it doesn't matter. Just eat, eat out the, the volatility. You mean you mean the uh, worth. Right out the you mean
0: the worth are you talking you mean the worth of a bitcoin?
2: Worth versus a yeah, price. Yeah, did I say something? You said price. Yeah, I the, just, the worth.
0: Yeah, if the worth okay. of a bitcoin is a million dollars, then the price doesn't matter. I think that's what you were trying to say. And I'm not trying to put words in your I, mouth.
2: Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was trying to say. Okay. Thank you, David. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the difference with the hyper bitcoinization is that imagine you're in a country um, where you see the government becoming unstable. That you're seeing the currency hyperinflated, and you start to that starts to wake you up. That starts to shake you up. Wait, Blake, To get into something, Blake.
0: I live in that country now.
1: Well, we're not Zimbabwe yes. yet. I okay. mean, that's not that's not where we are right now. So, just yet.
2: So that's that's what can happen, Dave. Is like the switch can happen quickly when somebody realizes that they that their safer investment is in Bitcoin, as mo- most or a lot of uh, the financial market is is kind of starting to wake up to. That's when you'll have the movement in hyper Bitcoinization or, or the money, the $900 trillion in assets that, that can move into Bitcoin, starts to move into Bitcoin. That'll start gapping the price up, you know, 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000, which will also make sure that everyone is now paying attention, right? So, all those people that have listened to your podcast or your, your podcasters have talked to their family and friends, they haven't been paying attention. They might have heard about it but they haven't done the research they couldn't articulate how money comes onto the market why bitcoin is worth any money at all if it's worth 20 million dollars a coin or one million dollars a coin and so once that happens that'll get the rest of the market to wake up to to studying you know bitcoin understanding monetary history and then you know potentially the rest of the market will also flow in just because they're they're fomoing and they're realizing that the current currency that they're using um, is not working or is inflating away.
0: Mm-hmm. Got any predictions on what's going to break the break the machine?
2: Well, I, I hold on. Before oh, yeah, you answer go that, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, yeah. David. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: have you got an answer to your question?
2: You know, that's. I think that's why David reached out to me because I ask that question every time because I wanted to see people's mental frameworks. So uh, Robert Breedlove, um, Greg Foss, and Michael Saylor all have some pretty high numbers. So Greg Foss. If you don't follow him, he's uh, a man that traded the bond market in Canada um, and has a, a, a an amazing track record um, understanding bonds. And, and he's been a lot of podcasts. And his assessment, that it's, it's a $900 trillion asset class, right? And so if $900 trillion were to come in Bitcoin, that's an, an easy 900x from here, um, potentially even more and so you know the numbers that you can see is, is close to 25 million dollars a coin per bitcoin um in today's dollars obviously um in the future yeah so i'll pause there and i'll uh, see if you've got any questions
1: uh, i'm 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 following you so you, i'm I'm, okay. I'm captivated so go ahead
2: okay right so now it's starting to get your attention these numbers are are there like you're saying there's a chance the Bitcoin? Is there a one percent chance, or is there ten percent chance? Is there a ninety percent chance that Bitcoin reaches twenty-five million dollars, or somewhere in that that? Group, yeah, you know, ten million to twenty-five million.
1: My, my, I've always. I mean, if we're always, uh, I, I guess this is this is the part that I've always struggled with. We're always talking about it in dollars, but if the dollar isn't worth what it what it says on the dollar bill, right, or whatever whatever bill right. we're talking about, then then what are we actually measuring right. it in? You know that that's what I, I've always been. I've always yeah. struggled with okay, but we're talking in something that's not valued at the face that it's saying it is. So I, I, I don't correct. I mean, so it's so it becomes so 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 in essence, it becomes its own uh way of of bartering because it's accepted as whatever the 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 Satoshi is, right? It just becomes well, well, its own form well, of well, bartering. Be,
0: be, before you answer that, Blake, so. Yeah, yeah. The the problem with the dollar is it's still a unit of account. It's still a medium of exchange, but it's it's a placebo and it's falsely viewed as a store of value. Yeah, I get
1: that. OK, I I get that. But but we're we're always talking about the metric of a Bitcoin in dollars. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are. Right. But what you just said contradicts why we why it, it, it to me, it, it's baffling or it confuses me as why would we actually talk about Bitcoin in terms of something that doesn't that isn't worth what it's saying it's worth. Is that, does that Sorry. make sense? Yeah, <laughs> Yes, it does. Jake,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm not smart enough. I, I need you, Blake. That's why you're here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm that, <laughs> I mean, do you,
0: do you get what I'm, what I'm asking? Because I, I, I this, exactly this,
1: this is the part I've always struggled with is, is, what, is what made me hesitate right. to get into it to begin with. Because we're always talking about it in something that's not as in, valuable. Inflating, as inflating. Yeah, right? it's – yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: So so then you're going to have to start to use it like almost a basket of goods in the future. So like it will be able to buy you 20 homes in Huntington Beach and X amount of coffee. So um, it, is, it, is, it is hard to do because we're, we're trying to say today's dollars – in terms of there's 900 trillion dollars in assets that can flow into bitcoin and we're measuring those assets in terms of dollars right right but we're not measuring them in terms of bitcoin so what you could do is divide the 91 or 90 900 trillion dollars of of assets by 21 million to get your number and that's in today's dollars and then use that number to see what that buys you today to give you an understanding of what bitcoin will be able to buy you in, in the future does that make sense
1: okay so you divide 900 trillion
2: divided by 21 million. million okay right. all right and then you're just trying to see what what that can buy you today you know what it can you know that amount of money buy you today and then and that'll give you a baseline for what you're going to be able to afford with one bitcoin in the future okay and so um, the interesting thing, as a thought experiment, especially if you're too late or too early, and this is kind of on your point, David, that that imagine you're the last person, let's say in Venezuela, right, or not in Venezuela, the last person to have fiat currency in Zimbabwe, and the currency hyperinflated. Right. It's you're one of the last people to realize, hey, I'm the last person on this train of realizing that there's a better money, let's say Bitcoin and someone's willing to tr- you're willing to take those you know 100 billion dollar notes from Zimbabwe there it is yeah, i got and the last one
0: you, i got the last one dude right?
2: you've got you've got the last one and and if you're silly enough if i'm silly enough to trade you part of my bitcoin you know let's say 100 satoshis for that piece of paper that is worthless that last person that has that last dollars that last trade will always make sense to take the fiat currency And buy bitcoin with it because that currency is hyperinflating away and as long as you have one person that's willing to trade their bitcoin for a piece of paper that's inflating away that that trade will always make sense yeah yeah so that kind of goes to people's question if they're too late or not if you can find someone that's silly enough to trade a piece of paper for some bitcoin then you should take them up on their offer and and then you're not too late because someone else might do it in the future and, and you just want to be left with the bag of pieces of paper. Right. Yeah. Currencies in the future. Yep. And so that, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an important thing to think through. Um, no,
0: you, I, w- w- I, w- I want to talk about you, this. So 2013, yeah. right. When, when I heard about Bitcoin, it was like a little over hundred bucks. Right. And when I was able to actually get enough money to buy some, right. It was 210. Right. I, bought, I buy 10 of them. Right. I'm, I'm rounding up right. my money. I'm getting my money. Right. Right, and then yeah. I wanted. Then I got uh, another twenty one hundred. I got to buy ten more, right? And then right, all right. of a sudden, the price went to three hundred eighty. It's like, what a ripoff! I'm not doing that. Right, right. I pause. Yeah. Right. Instead of buying five yeah. Bitcoin, right, for whatever it is, right, and have fifteen, I got ten, and I got yeah. two hundred, another twenty one hundred in fiat. And then the price goes to a right. thousand in January of two thousand thirteen, and I literally said, "It's over for me. It's." over yeah. for me right and so i literally was talking to a guy probably no no more than probably like late summer of 2021 when bitcoin was at 30,000 right and i said you got to get it and he goes no nah, no nah. he says i'll never he said i said and then all of a sudden it went up to like its all time high right recently a, few, a while ago and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like i should have bought it at 30 it's like i don't know how when people see the big unit How they actually can understand, how I make them understand that, yeah, no, it's get some. I tell people, just get $25. It's going to be so scarce. So
2: I think that's why the investment framework and thesis makes so much sense. Is it worth $25 million a coin? Is it worth $10 million a coin? It's more than zero. It's more than a dollar. It's more than $1,000. It's more than $5,000. So almost putting it back on that individual and saying, what's it worth? And that's why the question is so important to me, because it's the mental framework that you can take, you can start to go through with people. You know, is it worth $25 or $30 million a coin? Great. Let's say, let's go, let's round down and say 10 right? And then let's talk about the probability of it reaching $10 million a coin. Well, then you start to get into, uh, you know, I think the two things from a risk perspective. The thing I like about Bitcoin, it's similar to the internet. Right, where it's like TCIP, TCPIP, where it's the base layer of the future monetary system. In other words, if you can buy Bitcoin or you can buy the Internet in 1999, you should have bought the Internet. Right? It's a very stable process. It's always increasing. It's impossible to break. It's a programming language. So it's a way of communicating. And what I'm saying there is that Bitcoin is like that as well. It's like buying a share of the Internet. So there's not much risk there but nobody knew in 1999 how big the internet would be that we'd be having a zoom call uh, in different cities right now yeah. and that you know we'd have cell phones that would be able to replace most of you know our computer devices you know calculators and, and 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 those type of things so it's understandable that people didn't get the value of the internet then the difference with bitcoin is is that money is a system that's already existing and that we know bitcoin can replace so if we know Bitcoin can replace at least $100 trillion in fiat currencies, what's the probability that Bitcoin will replace those assets? And because we have 5,000 years of monetary history, we have 5,000 years of monetary experiments to understand which money wins and why. When you figure out the five quality or the, the qualities of money in, in order and in proportion, you start to understand how much of a risk-free asset Bitcoin is, that it's going to absolutely dominate and destroy all other fiat currencies. And once you start to make that assessment, like you 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 become even more bullish and you become more confident. So I, I think it's that's the healthy framework for people to to uh, think through because it's their own assumptions. I think there's a fifty percent chance that Bitcoin becomes the, the global reserve currency, That's fine. You know, if you believe that it's a 200 or 20 million dollars a coin potential, then you still have you take your your probability of the outcome 50 percent times the outcome, you know, 20 million and you have 10 million dollars a coin. Therefore, you should be buying every, you know, Bitcoin under 10 million dollars a coin if you're using that uh, investment model. So does that make sense, David? Or yeah, am I? no, no.
0: Yeah, I mean you're you're getting it and this is one this is one of the episodes that even I am gonna have to re listen to. No, I listen to them when they come <laughs> out, but it's it, it's like sometimes when you listen to Robert Breedlove talk or Michael Saylor. Right. right, He says right. so much and it's like he's got you on that concept and he's talking three concepts and you go back and you hear it a second time. It's like, I didn't hear that the first time because I was still grasping the new concept. Right. And that's kind of where you are. Right. And I, I like golfers who are better than me because I learn more. I like people who are smarter than me because I learn more. And, and you're in that population. I'm not being cagey. I got two topics I want to talk to you about before we sign up. Yeah. Number one right. is, is like, I'm a, I'm a Bitcoin evangelist, okay? And mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I call myself a coinosexual. Right? I'm attracted to all coins, right? But but Bitcoin for me is a it, it's a hold. It's a it's a it's a mm-hmm. it's it's a position. Bitcoin's a position. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. else is a trade, all right? And mm-hmm. and, I, and I'll tell you this. A guy told me to get rid of all my Cardano at Bitblock Boom 2020. It was nine cents, right? He told me to get mm-hmm. rid of it, right? Well, mm-hmm. Cardano gonna, has gone up, has gone up 30x in 15 months. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin hasn't. Right. So the trade of Cardano for me would be to get more Bitcoin. I just say that. So I tell okay. people, they say, well, what should I get started with? I always say Bitcoin. All right. And it's like, well, what about these other coins? I said, well, what about me? You didn't ask me what about these other coins? You said, what should I get started with? OK, if you got your own right. answers, then, then don't ask me. And I always right. get this when I when I orange pill people into Bitcoin. Without fail, mm-hmm. 9 out of 10 people, they, they they look into it. And what do you think they call me back? The next text is, after I tell them about Bitcoin, what do you think they say? Should I buy it? What about ETH? Every time. Oh, yeah. What about ETH? And I go, I go back. I go, what about it? Right? And mm-hmm. so for me, I'm not saying that you can't make money with ETH. If you want to take a position on ETH, then you do that right. whatever your own personal strategy is, right? Position versus a right. trade. But for me, right. ETH is just another... Fiat currency right i mean mm-hmm. it's basically mm-hmm. it's run it's a monarchy run by one dude right not decentralized mm-hmm. right Vidal can change right. the rules whatever i mean and and they've got identity crisis we got we got eth 2.0 right now we got pulse chain <laughs> coming we have got cardano we've got uh we've got solana we got polka dot we got all these things that are actually going to cannibalize these things right mm-hmm. and and, mm-hmm. and and so how does Blake answer the question, the money scientist orange bill, when people say, well, what about, what about ETH? Or what about fill in the blank here that's not Bitcoin? Because there's only one Bitcoin. Right? And when people right. say to me, well, somebody could actually take the entire blockchain right, and, and make another one. It's like, yeah, it's like me making Macebook. And getting 300 billion people to come, come on over to Macebook. It's like, no, I know the NSA is looking at it, but this is how I talk to my Mm -hmm. kids. So I'm still using it because I'm I'm on the Death Star in it. But, you know, I digress. Can you speak to the ETH, Bitcoin or whatever?
2: Yeah, yeah, of course. So I think for me, you know, when I hear that next question is it's the same it's the same problem. That most people have in understanding Bitcoin and money, and what the probability of Bitcoin becoming the world reserve currency is, is if they understand money and the top ten qualities of money, then they understand that Ethereum isn't even close to Bitcoin. It's a cryptocurrency. It's traded on Coin Market Cap, and Coinbase will sell it to you. But that doesn't mean that it is a good money. And so once people understand the ten qualities of money and in order and in their proportion. In other words, having a limited supply is 10 times more important than the second best quality. That's right. right. And yeah. And if, if they understand that or begin to understand that and understand the history of why certain monies win and look at all those use cases, then they understand Ethereum is just another fiat currency or bad money. Then then the other thing is, is then I mean, uh, there's so many problems with Ethereum. One, it can't scale. Two, it's got a 70% pre-mine. I okay. can't really so well, know. Tell
0: people what pre nine means. Tell them what this means. I wanted you to say oh, that.
2: Pre-mine, pre- yeah, yeah. So pre mine means that somebody um, took 70%, issued, let's say, a, a thousand shares and took um, 70% of those right. shares. And that's okay. what Vitalik and his team did with Ethereum. And so he's sitting, well, he did at least at some point sit on 70% of the ethereum that's right that's right right so
0: so okay so it can't scale can't pre-mine no can't scale can't pre-mine Can't scale pre-mine right what else
2: uh not a limited in supply and not decentralized got it right
0: right and so if if you and if you in the audience don't understand that right you go back and you understand what all those uh four things that blake is talking about mean go ahead blake
2: yeah, so the, the limited supply, let's dive into that because I think that's the crux that everyone should look through this aspect or but these these assets or these cryptocurrencies or just currencies in general, right? And so imagine that you have all these Ethereum monopoly board, you've got a Bitcoin monopoly board and you've got a fiat currency monopoly board. And the fiat currency monopoly board, people are printing money and they're taking that wealth from their people by inflation and giving it to their banker friends, right? And then on the Ethereum board, they had a 70% pre-mine. In other words, they didn't give out money individually to everybody. They are are literally, um, are, are literally um, you know, took took 70% of the, the net worth of the board and are using it to buy assets around the board. So I, once you start to understand it as a little bit of like, as an example of monopoly boards, it starts to make a little bit more sense. And you get to understand like, hey, I don't want the banker to be able to print much as much money as he or she wants and then give it to his banking friends, and then they buy all the real estate. Yeah, right, yeah. Monopoly board. Correct. And so and <laughs> and so, and that that's, that's the way to look at the framework of limited supply versus a game that's a little bit more a monopoly board with Bitcoin. The earlier you get there, the better off you're going to be. The more times you're going to go around the board, the better off you're going to be. You're going to get more land for cheaper. And the faster you get off all those other monopoly boards, the better off you're going to be. But there's a trend of every – not every smart – a lot of smart people are moving off the other monopoly boards onto the Bitcoin monopoly board, and they understand why. And so that's that's kind of the number one frame to look through it as. And then you've got the other things that would make a cryptocurrency or not a cryptocurrency kind of more valuable. Again, the pre-mine, it, it can't scale. In other words, they have $100 transaction fees right now or more, I think. No, no, Last time I looked.
0: no to send $2,000 in ETH, it was $600, man. Think about that for a right. second. 35%. That's
2: really nuts. Yeah.
0: yeah. And th- that yeah, can't fix crazy. that. Hey, I I'm going
2: go go go, go. I know no, we're no, running no. out of
0: Well, no, uh, we could we, you for you, we can go a little long. I just because okay, you are dropping knowledge. Continue.
2: Um and then and then you've got just basic um, engineering protocols like it, it can't decentral it's not decentralized. You can't run a node. Um, and then it can't scale.
0: Right. Hold on a second. Talk about, talk about, no, no, no. This is my audience. They're going to want this and they're going to ask, well, what's that mean? So talk about the Mm -hmm. whole thing about how you, you can't run a node and why that's important. Right. And what Bitcoin is.
2: So going back to the monopoly board example, you've got Ethereum that they say they have the rules and they're, they're showing you, um, uh, The the nodes are important because you can you can check the rules of the game. With Bitcoin, it's very easy to to run a node or or, or run the software. You just put it on almost any computer can handle it. With Ethereum, almost no computer can handle it. Right, so you can't check the rules of the game. You can't validate that everyone's playing fair by those monopoly board rules. Right, and so that's the kind of analogy that you should think about it. If you can't trust and you can't run the software to make sure that everyone in the game is playing fair, then they might not be playing fair. And we already, you know, with the 70% pre-mine, we, there's already an inclination that he is, or that system is not playing fair. And if you can't validate the rules of the game with a node, then you don't know if they're playing fair or not. And so that's a concern. With Bitcoin, you can run a node.
0: So I, I got one more thing to add, you know, two, two things. Let's talk about the infrastructure bills, right, That that I don't mm-hmm. think are going to pass, right, because of the Democratic mm. infighting. But let's just say mm-hmm. that they did, and now there's mm-hmm. $5 mm-hmm. trillion dollars more just thrown mm-hmm. in the economy, and we print $5 trillion okay. more trillion Talk about how taxing and damaging that is, even to the people who think, well, hey, I'm going to get some of this free cheese. But as, a mon- as a monetary scientist, talk about how damning and bad that is.
2: Yeah, I had a conversation with a friend that's in the military and he is an officer and he's got a contract and he's supposed to retire at some point in time, right? And if if these continue to inflate the money at twenty percent a year, his retirement account is gonna be worthless, you know, it's gonna be pennies on the dollar in not that amount of time, and not that long amount of time. And so, as these governments continue to print more money, there's almost a race around the world to debase the currencies. So, you know, David, I think there's a more likelihood that can, the government is going to continue to print more money and continue to debase the currency. Because if you look at the last 50 years or 70 years, there is one trend, and it's continuing to print more money, acquire more debt, and you know, put, put the government or put the government in a in a financially. Um, you know, uh, in a, a way, they cannot pay the debt off. Yeah, and but so th- th- there's th- a there's
0: th- a there, there's a social peril to that that I see. All right, then that's mass right. inflation, and it's just like when when the, the already eroding middle class and the lower class right can't actually get mm-hmm. basic necessities, then we've got absolute anarchy, and that and, and that starts the fire for me.
2: Well, and, and we're kind of already seeing that in a lot of ways, but I think the difference with Bitcoin um, and hyper-Bitcoinization over what's happening in, in Zimbabwe or what happened in Zimbabwe and what's happening in Venezuela is that when your money goes away, you start to have to barter. You have to, you know, there we go. hey, I, can I give you this computer for 20 burritos? Hey, you know, can I give you this, you know, iPhone for a tank of gas? And the system just starts to collapse. But we what we have here is going from an inferior money to a,
0: a superior, a superior yeah. money.
2: Yeah. So the the beautiful thing is, is that it, it will happen even faster because it's a flip of a switch. So as soon as people realize that they're in the inferior ecosystem and they have their bonds or their retirement account in the worst system, they'll move it, they'll move it over to the better system and it's just like that. And then they'll start, as you mentioned, David, you're starting to price things in Satoshis. And soon, at some point, people will move away from fiat currency and start pricing it in satoshis, as we're already seeing in El Salvador, right? So people in El Salvador that are thinking in satoshis and Bitcoin, they're going, everything's getting cheaper. This is fantastic. And at the same time, they're using two currencies. They're using the dollar. So they're also seeing the the value of everything increasing in terms of, of, of um, you know, if they're measuring it in the dollar. And so you're already seeing that mindset shift with people. And I think... We're going to continue to see it. We were seeing one example with El Salvador and it'll go from the smallest countries with the weakest currencies all the way to the biggest currencies with some of the stronger currencies like the euro.
0: So my last question is the question okay. that I asked I think you were right behind me. No, no, I was first. I was first in, in line when we asked that question and it was to Mark. Okay. Ma- was it to Pre- I think was it was to Preston. Did you ask Preston? It was to Preston. I mean, it was to Preston. Yeah. I, I didn't ask Mark Moss, right? I, I, I spoke to him okay. in the hallway and here's what I said. I said, this is what happens when the market Mm crashes, the stock market crashes, Bitcoin correlates Mm -hmm. to that, right? If the stock market was to go down Mm by 20% right now, Bitcoin would go down because so many people who actually have stock positions also have Bitcoin, Mm -hmm. right? But Bitcoin Mm -hmm. comes back faster. And I asked him this question, I said, what needs to occur for there to be a discorrelation between the price of Bitcoin and the markets? And I don't know if he didn't understand the question or if I didn't understand mm. the answer. But what he said was when Bitcoin becomes $5 million a coin, then it will be discorrelated. And I went, uh, that's,
1: I, I bet you. $5 polite. million dollars a coin?
0: He, he says, yes. He says by the time that Bitcoin is $5 million a coin, then the stock market could go 50% crash, and Bitcoin will just be. I guess
1: the question I would ask is, then, okay, so what's the correlation between the market cap value of the stock market vis a vis Bitcoin right now. Well, but I right? I, I think they're two different I mean, questions. Well, no, they're they're well if you're if you're assuming that they're correlated, then you got to look at the the. Well, the, well, the well, let me
0: let me tell you why they're correlated right now. All right, because people mm. people who have stock they also have Bitcoin, and when the stock market cr- crashes, they're on leverage. They need to lever they need to liquidate stuff. They liquidate mm. their Bitcoin position so they can pay. And the first thing people mm. are going to get rid of. Right. It, when when they're in fear, because investing is fear and greed. That's the only two emotions that exist. They're going to actually get mm-hmm. their what they call. There's a lot of uh, uh, people who are inaccurate and they're thinking that they own Bitcoin or Bitcoin mm-hmm. futures. Mm-hmm. whatever And what they're going to do is they're going to actually liquidate what they consider to be the riskiest asset right now to pay off mm-hmm. their stock. Right, and so I think that's a real thing. I don't know if that's a macro thing mm-hmm. or it's just a micro thing in my mind. But can you comment on your opinion on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just a function of education. Going back to the monetary science monopoly board kind of analogies that we're making, right? When you realize that Bitcoin is the safest investment, you're going to act differently. You're going to sell the other assets, and you're going to hang on. Right, to right, right. We're seeing that train, and it's interesting that you asked Preston that because Preston gets that. Preston Pish. Of the investor podcast he gets that he's not going to sell his other assets for bitcoin he's got most of his assets in bitcoin and so you're already seeing the interesting thing of what's happening over the last four years is the previous you know before last four years before we had podcasts like yours this narrative wasn't there this narrative wasn't able to spread so people weren't able to understand that bitcoin is the safe investment it's where you want to keep your money in case something like this happens, right? If there's a, another global financial crisis, where do you want to run? You want to run a Bitcoin. If your banks are going insolvent and the government's becoming insolvent and they're, and they're you know, starting to follow you around, where do you want to be? You want to be in Bitcoin. That's exactly where you want to be. And that's a function of education and doing your due diligence. And that's where you know reading the Bitcoin standard and understanding monetary history you start to understand that this is the safest investment. People are already moved to that perspective, including Preston Pish. The question is, when does the rest of the market do that? And that's a phenomenal question that I wish I could answer, but they'd have to do their due diligence. And one of the interesting things about Ray Dalio, Warren Buffett, and all these hedge fund managers, their full-time job is to make money, and they don't even know what money is, and they can't (laughs) even be bothered to find out what it is. That, to me, blows my mind because it's like they didn't even spend 10 minutes to study econ- monetary science and economic history. You know, it, it's, it's baffling. Ray Dalio is the closest person, and he says that bonds are horrible investment. So it's, just, it's baffling to me that, that this is even um, an opportunity for most retail investors or the average Joe to get ahead of people like Warren Buffett and Ray Dalio.
0: Like, you've been so kind and you've dropped so much knowledge on us. And this went way better than I thought. I knew it was going to be good. I didn't know it was going to be great. And so, to, so for those of us, there's going to be people who are going to want to like the Learning Tribe, who are, who are going to hear yeah. you and want to, want to maybe reach out to you on Twitter. And so for everybody yeah. who's on Spotify and Apple not watching on YouTube, can you uh, mm-hmm. spell out your, uh, your Twitter handle for them?
2: Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Twitter. Um, my DMs are open. And my Twitter handle is logicalbitcoiner, and without the e at the end. So logical bitcoin, and then r at l o g i c a l bitcoiner b i t c o i n r. Like, so, you can follow the, me there. Yeah.
0: How about coming back, uh, uh, like in in uh, the spring? And you're, we're just going to do a ten-part thing about what money is. That would no. You're right. There, there, oh. I, I, I started thinking about. I thought money was just three things: a unit of account, right? Medium of exchange, and store of value. All right. That, that's a oh, currency. Be
1: divisible, portable. Yeah. Scarce. So, so, like yeah. Stuff. So,
0: so you're, you're going to come back, right. and, and uh, you're being voluntold that you're going to come back. You know, just. <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Thank you so much, Travis, my engineer. No, No, no no no, 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 no. Thank you. No. Well, well, thank me then. Hey, and of you're course. welcome. And of course, <laughs> I couldn't do it without Robo Recruiter Dave, Dave Hampton.
1: Eternally grateful. This is
0: great. Eternally grateful he is. Remember, I'm David James, the Job Whisperer, and everybody remember, can whisper. <laughs>